Welcome to the Pro Tips Podcast, brought to you by Noodle Pros and Inspirica. We are the only podcast that provides expert tips from professional test prep tutors, education consultants, and education insiders. I'd like to welcome Kate Fisher to the podcast. Hi, Kate. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Kate is a tutor in Manhattan who has been doing test prep and all sorts of tutoring, is also an expert on executive functioning. For many years, she has a cult following, um, and I am having her on today because she's going to speak about the six clusters of, of executive functioning. It's really important if you have a child with executive functioning issues that you understand sort of the big picture and how it breaks up into these six components. So Kate, why don't you just dive in? Sure, Lisa, thanks. So executive functioning, we think of it as this huge thing, and it, it really is nicer to look at it in these pieces because some students have strengths in, in some areas and areas for improvement in others. So the first cluster is activation, and we associate that a lot with students with executive function challenges or ADHD and ADD. That's really organizing, prioritizing it, and getting ready to sit down and do the work. Then we have focus, which is focusing, sustaining, and the ability to shift attention between different tasks. Then there's effort, which is regulating alertness and whether that effort can be sustained. And also processing speed plays a role in effort. Then emotion, which a lot of people overlook as a component of executive functioning, but emotion is part of it. How does a student manage their frustrations and challenging emotions? Can they set negative emotions aside to focus on the task at hand. So you can see the clusters are already interrelated. Emotion affects focus, activation affects effort, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And then there's, um, lastly, there's memory and action. So memory is basically utilizing our working memory and thinking about what we already know and what do we need to know to focus on the task at hand and complete the task at hand. And then finally, action, and that's monitoring and self-regulating action. So a lot of students with ADD and ADHD, especially younger ones, have some impulse control issues. So they might blurt out things in class or, or things like that. And that falls under that action category. So how can parents use this, these six clusters, and now their understanding of what they are so I think to better understand their child? Absolutely. So I always love to start with the strength. If you say, well, my, my kid is really great at emotional control when they have a bad day, they don't let it affect them. Use that strength to help build the skills in the clusters that are weaker. So for example, you know, maybe the student has trouble sitting down and getting ready to work. We use their emotional maturity to help them come up with a plan that works for them. Okay, how, what do I have to do first? What's most important? Can I distinguish the most important task from the least important and come up with a plan that's going to make me work in an efficient and an efficient way? Got it. So, so are you saying that you can use their strengths to mitigate their weaknesses? Or are you saying to use their strengths for another purpose? I, that's a great question, Lisa. I think it's both. I think you can use strengths to help build skills that, that maybe are not developmentally where they should be. Uh, you know, I think for these kids, a lot of kids with executive functioning issues, they've been told in school that they're not doing it right and they're just not trying hard enough. And that's just so not true. It's, it's not a skills deficit. It's a performance deficit. 
A lot of students who struggle with executive function know what they need to do. They just really have trouble doing the output and doing what they need to do in a way that their teacher or parent or, or tutor wants them to do. They, they know what to do. They just can't put it all together. So using the strengths as part of the way to, to shore up those gaps can be really helpful because we focus on the fact that each child does have strengths. And it's not that they're just, you know, not performing well, they're performing well in some areas and let's build on that. So do you think it helps to know these clusters so that you don't look at EF as one big issue, like your child's got this giant elephant? I do, Lisa. I think it's really helpful because it's it allows students to not feel that they're just going to fail no matter what they do. It, a lot of students um, with, with learning differences or executive function challenges have experienced academic trauma in a way. They've been told in school that they're not trying hard enough, they're not doing enough, why can't they do it this way? And, and this is a way, I also think with older students, you know, middle school and high school, showing them these clusters and, and giving them articles about executive function helps them understand that they're, you know, whatever neurodiversity they have is just a normal part of it's normal human biological variation. Hmm. And it doesn't mean they're different. It just means their brain works differently. And if we can capitalize on some of the ways their brain works in, in a really cool, interesting way that their neurotypical peers might not have access to, that helps build confidence and take back some of that previous trauma they may have experienced. Interesting. And what if, what if I'm a parent and I have two children who have executive function issues and by from what you're saying with these six clusters, they may be very different. Is that right? Or that's you know, absolutely. If, if you meet, yeah. If you meet a hundred students with executive function difficulties, you've met a hundred students. Wow. Uh, you know, no no two students are the same, and I, I think emphasizing that each student has their own unique twist and their own you know unique way of seeing things can be really helpful, and it undoes a lot of the stigma that they might have experienced in the past. Right, I think breaking this up into these bite-sized pieces and you know, any person can understand the difference between focus and emotion, you know, just looking at this helps you feel as a parent too, like it's not totally overwhelming. You know, you can, you can dig in. Yeah. Pieces. So um, we're almost out of time. Uh, my last question is how can a parent know when they look at this, they may know, oh, my child, the effort is great. And activation is really poor, but there's a lot in the middle, right? How, who can help you figure that out so you know you can really have more information about your child? Is it a neuropsychologist? Who would you go to, to to figure out what these six clusters are for your child? Well, if you need, you know, accommodations for school, whether it's extra time for testing or, or you know, other accommodations in a classroom setting, a neuropsychologist can always be really helpful there because they can give you an official diagnosis and make sure that your child is getting the support from the school that they need. You can also, you know, work with an executive function coach who can administer an assessment. Um, Noodle Frozen and Spirica, we have some great executive function coaches that really are 
so well-trained in dealing with this. And what's nice is it sort of alleviates the pressure between the parent-child relationship because you don't have mom or dad, you know, yelling, you gotta, you gotta sit down and focus. You just gotta sit down and focus. It sort of brings a third party into it who's there to ease that tension. And right. we have, um, you know, there are a lot of great self-assessment surveys, which, you know, are, there is a self-reporting bias, but what's really nice about that is it gives each student an opportunity to reflect on their strengths and weaknesses and identify what areas they want to work on. What do they want to improve? And what are the um, ideal, not the ideal, the the typical types of kids with executive function you tend to work with the most or that you feel you can help the most? I think, so the transition from elementary school to middle school and from middle school to high school, those are two really big transitions. Educational demands are up. You know, in middle school, you have different teachers in all your different classes. You have to organize more. High school, you're starting to do more extracurriculars and, and you're breaking out. You want to be more independent. So I think those are really nice places to have an EF coach if there have been some um, lapses in, in EF ability in the past because it sort of guarantees a smoother transition and helps build success and study skills and, and all of the tools that a student needs to succeed. Wow, so you can help with those transitions and, and getting them as comfortably over that hump as possible. Yeah, the earlier you start, you know, the more successful it, it, it tends to be because it's a lot of it is just about building good habits and building habits mm -hmm. that help. Um, so, you know, the earlier you start, the more, by the time these kids, you know, go to college, they're, you know, they're good, they're set. They know exactly what they need to do and what systems work for them and what doesn't work for them. Well, I know you've worked with so many kids with executive function issues and I, I know you've done a great job. So if you'd like to work with Kate or talk to Kate, you can reach her on the Noodle Pros website. It's noodleprospros.com. She is featured prominently. She's a really exceptional tutor. Thank you so much, Kate, for coming on today and talking to us about this. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for listening today. To learn more about Noodle Pros, Inspirica, or our guests, reach out to us at 844-663-9484 or noodlepros.com or inspirica.com. This is Lisa Jacobson wishing you happy learning. Come back next time for another Inside Expert and even more pro tips.